Hi, my name is Karu. I'm from London, and this episode is brought to you by MPW. Have you found the process of setting up your home studio confusing or overwhelming? Or do you feel like you need to spend a lot of money to have a decent setup? If so, grab a free copy of MPW's Getting Started in Music Production Checklist, which has their top recommendations for building your home studio on a budget, what to look for when buying gear, and tips on how to start with what you already have. Use the link in the show notes to download the checklist now. Uh, what am I saying? This is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music, music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Sam Luce is an audio engineer from the UK. Starting as a gigging musician, he now concentrates on matters the other side of the glass through recording bands, mixing and production. Sam runs a growing YouTube channel called Sam Luce Audio Engineer, creating content on mixing, mastering and audio production techniques. Sam is also a regular content creator for Isotope, Native Instruments and many other audio companies. Welcome to our podcast, Sam. It's lovely to have you here. So how's your uh, morning going so far, I assume? Yeah, morning. Yeah, I am here. It's going well. I've got three kids, so it's been it started a long time ago, but it's it's good. It's all <laughs> always crazy in the mornings, but yeah, we get there in the end. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, UK people don't usually choose uh, this time slot, so must be an early bird or a forced early bird <laughs> uh both both really i'm always in the studio at eight i like to oh, right. get started early and finish sort of four thirty, so i can get in for the kids and get team aid and all that kind of stuff so yeah definitely an early bird i love that actually i feel like so many people in audio you kind of have this image of people being more like night owls and things like that but i love that you've kind of made it work around your schedule and your lifestyle yep they should try having kids that'll <laughs> that'll change it around <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. So before we get into our topic today, Sam, which is talking about mixes and the difference to think about when you're talking about the different streaming platforms, I am keen to learn a little bit more about you. How did things start for you in the music career and how did you end up getting to where you are today? Well, I came from a very musical family. My parents, both musicians, mum's a pianist, dad's a violinist. Um, My brother and I, we both kind of picked up music, I guess, at a similar time. I mean, I'm 35 now. We both picked it up when we were around, I don't know, six or seven, something like that. It wasn't as if we didn't have a choice. It was just, I guess, the expected thing. And we all just started playing. And my brother and I started playing in a band when we were about 12, 13. And we're still going today, 20-something years later. And, yeah, and I started kind of doing the, I guess, the PA for those early gigs and practices and stuff and kind of found I liked it. And we had a room on the side of our house, which was where our parents would always do their rehearsals. And it was just known as the music room. And then it became our music room. And then it became my studio and recording bands at school, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, went to university and made a lot of friends. And then it took me a very long time to get to the point where I was making a living out of music. And I think that's the one thing that I can't stress enough. Like, it take, you have to put in your graft. It's a long time. You don't just leave university or, or wherever it is you are and then just fall into a job. It, it doesn't work like that. You have to work hard at it. But I'm kind of, I don't know, where am I now? You know, I, I guess, yeah, I make money out of music, which is cool. I can't complain. But I do a lot of different things. I'm not just sat down at eight o'clock, start mixing bands and finish at 4.30. It's not like that. You know, it's very, extremely varied. But yeah, music was always just... 
don't know, music was always just kind of there. I never really fell in love with music. Music was just always a necessity. It was always part of my life, so I never thought that it ever wouldn't be part of my life, and I just carried on that route, and, yeah, I guess here I am. I don't know, strange one, really. Okay. <laughs> cool. No, that's good to hear, and really great as well that you mentioned that it does take a long time, and I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, I'm going to spend six months and if it doesn't happen then, and then it's not going to happen or something like that. And yeah. it's a good thing to realise that it's a marathon, not a short-term game. Yeah, it's not a destination either. You know, it's a journey and it's about all the stuff that you do and all the fun you have when you're going along. And, and I think if you ever stop learning, just stop because that's, you know, what's the point anymore? Just you keep doing new <laughs> stuff and keep learning along the way, keep learning new skills. And that's how things stay exciting, at least for me definitely mm, i love that and i must say your band you all must just get along really well to keep going after 12 or 13 years uh that's quite unique well it's <laughs> uh, what is it now 20 uh 20 what was it 2001 so in our 22nd year now it was always me and my brother Amazing. and um we're kind of bass players been there most of the time but yeah we still maintain we're sort of friends first and bandmates second so when we do get together it's more of a bit of a social event and oh should we play a song you know <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of fun I love that. That's so cool. Very cool. So could you do a little bit of time travel for me, Sam, to find an event in your life that you feel like you've learned the most from? Other than having kids. I think there's <laughs> kind of two periods for me that were really pivotal. I think, first of all, for two completely different reasons. The first is my 20s when I left university because I kind of just assumed that it was going to happen. You know, I was going to just come out of university and start being in music full time. And it, it didn't happen. And I thought that music would come to me. I didn't realise that you have to grind, you have to try these different things and try your hand at so many different things. And I think that that period of my life a lot of mistakes were made but I think also COVID was like you know when people talk about the war they say how was your war you know because everyone's war was different and everyone had different experience and I feel like it's the same with COVID because for me COVID was amazing because I was at home with my family we were playing Monopoly every day and then I was in the studio and everyone had music, everyone was being creative and everyone was working on stuff at home, but they didn't know how to then channel that and take it to the next step. So they were sending it to me and I was doing work and I was creating some music and mixing and started doing video work. And yeah, COVID has got a lot to answer for for me, really. I did did a lot of work then. I started working for a lot of companies and I started doing a lot of video and video was really when I started to take things seriously. So yeah, COVID was... An interesting one for me, my wife, she's a midwife, so she was kind of the front line, as it were. She was still going to work. She was still doing stuff. It was an interesting period, but I think COVID was really a pivotal point for me where things started really taking off. Yeah, for sure. You're so right in everyone's experience was so different mm. uh, with COVID and even running MPW as an online learning platform, you know, it definitely didn't do bad things for us as well. And I ended up meeting who is now my fiance kind of in the middle of COVID. So, you know, that was actually a fine time as well. And we were kind of in our 5k radius. So 
everyone's experience was so different and, and there were challenges, but also good things that came along with that. So, and you mentioned having kids as well. So what's that experience been for you? Wild. It's mad. Yeah. We've got a, um, <laughs> a, a 12 year old, a four year old and a one year old. Four year olds just started school last week. So that's pretty crazy. One year old is doing what one year olds do, but I'm fortunate like the studio is just down the end of the garden. So where I'm sitting now, you know, we built it when we moved into the house. So I'm just down the end of the garden. You know, I'm not, I'm disconnected from home enough to work, but then if I'm needed, I can just go back. And yeah, I think having kids really grounds you. You don't feel the change happen, but you just become aware that you're a slightly different person, but happier for it. You know, everything just gets a little bit richer and you, you start valuing different experiences a little bit differently a little bit more a little bit of a different way so yeah it's brilliant yeah i recommend it to anyone unless you want to sleep that's yeah <laughs> that kind of goes away a little bit. okay i have heard that <laughs> actually yeah but no that's a lovely thing to hear as well sorry i, I, I think i kind of got the easy end of a deal as, as i said my wife is a midwife so yeah if a piece of advice, if you're going to have kids, have them with a midwife. They know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a bit of a cheat code, I think. All right. Good one life tip here that we talk about later. Have kids with a midwife if, if you can. <laughs> so can you tell me then a random fact about yourself, Sam, that perhaps not that many people in music know about you? I guess... It depends how people know me, really. I guess from the YouTube stuff, from the isotope stuff, from mixing in general, I'm actually a qualified teacher and I do teach a couple of days a week, which is a completely different experience. When you go, you kind of take a step back and you see the students who are at the, they're not even at the start of their journey, they're kind of preparing for the start of their journey. And I feel like because I do work in you know, industry, as it were, that there is a lot that I can impart on them. There's a lot that I can tell them about how it really is and I remember being at university even and we got let loose at the end of it and they said right cool have a good life and it was kind of like well, what do I do now like how do I do work what happens you know so I, I teach 16 to 18 year olds and I find that I'm very much focused on like this is how you make money out of it this is how you can actually do stuff it, it's their decision whether they listen or not but you know that's kind of what I think so yeah became a qualified teacher I don't know five years ago something like that kind of fell into it a little bit but yeah I enjoy it so a couple of days a week I teach at a college and music performance and music production there you go you may not know that very cool yeah yeah no I love that real world knowledge as well that you're trying to work in there and it's such a good idea to prepare people and give them a bit of practical knowledge on what it's actually like rather than here's all the technical skills yeah. and now you just work it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only so far you can go with kind of a theory-based classroom. You have to have a little bit of practical and then a little bit of understanding and a bit of experience coming there as well, I think. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. So jumping into our topic today, Sam, and we're talking about what to think about when you are preparing a mix for different streaming platforms. So when mixing for various platforms, and there are so many out there now, what would you say are the key considerations to ensure that you're getting the best sound quality? So a guy that I used to work for at a studio, I remember once asked, he was a mastering engineer, and I remember asking him, like, how do you master for metal when compared to drum and bass when compared to acoustic and he said i don't i master music that's what i do i have to have an understanding of the genre but i'm mastering 
for people to listen to, you know, whatever that genre is. And I think this is the thing, you're still creating a track that is going to be listened to by however many people. And the idea of a reference track is so important. And having a reference of what you know it's going to sound like is a bit more important than taking notice of like LUFS meters or anything like that. It's good to have an understanding of that. But for me, if your LUFS meters are reading like minus six or minus five or something, then the chances are you should probably be hearing that there's a problem before you see that that number is is too high. So your ears are the, are the main metering tool. But I think referencing is important, but there is a tool from Adapter Audio called Streamliner, which is amazing. And you can take a listen to how it's going to sound on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Deezer, all these kind of different platforms using their various different codecs, their different compression algorithms. There's a video that I did for Isotope, I think, or maybe Plugin Alliance, and it's using that plugin. And yeah, it's really good. It tells you exactly how it's going to sound. Um, so referencing is unbelievably important, definitely. Yeah. Okay. No, a good thing to think about there that that's probably more important than thinking about the different platforms and their requirements. But are there any different technical requirements that you might think about? Like even if that's not your primary thing, like what are, or maybe starting with what are the main differences between the platforms and how do they treat music differently? So there's three kind of differences, three things to be aware of when mixing with streaming platforms. So one is your peak level. Secondly is kind of your high frequency content and then any kind of spatial stuff. So how wide it is. To me, you're, they just get progressively more important as you get lower quality. So I think maybe don't think of it in terms of like Deezer sounds like this, Spotify sounds like this, SoundCloud sounds like this. Think of it in terms of all of their highest quality codecs all sound relatively similar all of their mid-range codecs are all relatively similar and all their low range are all relatively similar so when you get to the the low bandwidth stuff like maybe the 96k or 128k they don't sound great and you have real considerations to make with top end there i have noticed that youtube sounds quite a lot worse than a lot of the other streaming platforms at the lower bit rates and your top end information is extremely important there if you've got any big s's any big symbols anything like that then you're going to need to ds beforehand but i think the big thing to think of here is you shouldn't have in mind the lowest common denominator you shouldn't be thinking about the person who's listening in the lowest quality you should be thinking about the person who's listening in the highest quality but whilst keeping in mind that some people are going to be listening there, so you should reference with that as well using something like Streamliner. I promise you I'm not selling it, but it is really good. Yeah, it's not an <laughs> advert. So your top end, that is really important. Your point of clipping kind of lowers. So if previously you're hitting like minus 0.1 dB full scale, then that's going to clip if you're on a lower bandwidth kind of recreation. So you want to be coming down there, maybe even something like minus two minus three db is not unheard of because when you go down to mp3 or ogvorbis or any of the other platforms other uh, codecs it is going to clip earlier and then one thing that people don't necessarily understand is that these codecs they work in mid-side so if they're doing something they're not necessarily doing it to left and right at the same time they're considering the mid channel and the side channel so that's how they're reducing the information because the mid channel is mono and takes up far less space so they're actually for example, using a de then you should be thinking about it in mid-side format. So 
taking out some of the top end on the side channels is going to be more beneficial and leave you with more space than doing it overall because that's how the codecs work and your top end information is probably going to be spread over to the sides as well you can check that you know your your mono mix will always take up less space than a full stereo mix and sometimes just narrowing the stereo image can help as well because you've got less that's kind of thrown out to the side so when it does inevitably clip it and make it sound a bit nasty it's gonna be less phasiness so yeah maybe narrowing that stereo image is going to help a little bit as well mm. okay so few things to think about there and can we talk as well about loudness normalization so is this firstly what is it and are the different platforms doing that differently and then is that where we think about the do we have our master at minus or like more than that or yeah um, yeah it's an interesting one so the said thing is that spotify wants you to have loudness at minus four so okay let's take a step back so lufs loudness units full scale is about the perceived loudness so it doesn't matter what your peak level is it doesn't matter if your peak is going really high really low whatever it is it's about the perceived loudness of your track overall so if you play track A next to track B, do they sound about the same level? Forget your meters, do they sound the same level? If they sound at a similar level, then their LUFS value is probably going to be pretty similar. So that's what loudness is. Loudness units full scale, it's about perceived loudness, how loud it sounds to us. And Spotify always say that you should upload at minus 14 LUFS. And if you don't, then they're going to bring it down or bring it up. The more that I hear that, the less true I find that it actually seems to be. Because I've uploaded stuff to Spotify adhering perfectly to that minus 14, and it's way quieter than anything else on there, and I regretted it. And then I've done the same thing with stuff that's up at like minus 9, minus 8, really super loud stuff, and I keep getting told that they're going to turn it down, and they never do. So how true that actually is, I don't know. I think people are kind of coming around to the fact now that like... Yes, we're told these numbers and we should maybe be aware of them. But in terms of Spotify and stuff like that, it's about making it sound good. It's about making it using your ears first. And if your ears are telling you there's a problem, then if your ears are telling you it's pumping too much and it's too loud, then check your LUFS and, oh yeah, I'm at minus six. Okay, I kind of realized that because I was listening first. If it, it's that horrible analogy, all my students start their essays with this term. If it sounds good, it is good. Like, uh, yeah, okay, I get it. Everyone uses that, but it's true. Like if it, if it sounds like it's, <laughs> if it sounds like it's not anything bad, then it's probably, there's probably not anything bad there. I think LUFS target loudness is more of a consideration in podcasts, in audiobooks, definitely in TV. I've done some work in TV before and they are strict on it. Like if your mix doesn't adhere, if it's like 0.1 above or below, they send it back and they have you do it again. So it's crazy important there. Yeah, for Spotify and stuff like that, it's a consideration, but just take it with a pinch of salt and be aware that your ears are going to be a better judge than perhaps an LUFS meter. That's my take on it anyway. Mm, okay. Yeah, good to think about. And essentially, I feel like, which is a good thing to know, is to not stress too much about what the stream platforms are doing and essentially just listen to your ears and see what it sounds good and using reference tracks, which is a good tip there to think about as well. And do you feel like there are any emerging trends or technological developments that musicians or producers can keep an eye on when preparing their music for streaming? 
I know you mentioned this one tool as well, which was the Streamliner. Yeah, I think mono compatibility is a big one. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a train and there's someone behind me playing a track on their phone and it's in mono. And then you have like the little smart speakers, they're all in mono. And if you're playing something in a club, in a venue or something, then it's going to be in mono because they can't get their customers standing directly in the sweet spot, you know, so they just play it in mono. I'm not saying you have to mix in mono. I think people say that a lot and I think I would disagree with that. But I think having a consideration of how something sounds when it's in mono is something we need to be increasingly more aware of because more and more platforms are playing stuff in mono, which it's not necessarily a trend. It's a necessity. As I said, you know, if you've got a, a club where you've got sets of speakers at the front, then you can't necessarily say that someone isn't going to be closer to the left than the right. If you've got something in the right-hand speaker, then they're not going to hear it. You think about a, a festival. I, mean, I did live sound for years and everything was always in mono because I couldn't determine whether someone was going to be in front of one speaker or another. You know, that's just the, the nature of the beast. So yeah, I think being aware of mono compatibility, you get a lot of people that say they do 95% of their mixing and then put it in stereo at the end. I think they're lying. But I think it's something to be kind of aware of and just know that people could listen to this in mono, so make it sound as good as you can in mono as well. And mono always sounds a bit worse than stereo. It never sounds quite as big, quite as human. But yeah, it is what it is. But you know, a lot of the old Beatles stuff was in mono and that still sounds pretty good. So mm. who could say? Oh, for sure, for sure. Actually, that's a big revelation for me that, a lot of live sound is in mono in festivals and clubs as well because you you sort of think that at that stage you have your track sounding at the best yeah. capacity. Well, I don't know. Maybe I was doing it wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just me that mixes in mono. <laughs> I don't know. But it, to me, it, it makes perfect sense, especially if you're mixing like a small club. Like if you've got a guitar and you're panning it completely to one side, like who are you doing that for? What's the reason? Like for you standing at the back, it might sound great, but you're the least important person in that room you know you're the only person not listening to it really or listening to it in a completely different way you know so if you're mixing for yourself then yeah you're doing it wrong so i think yeah that's a big thing for me i think when i've been at festivals i have heard stuff that is kind of stereo or more i haven't heard it because it's been in, in the wrong speaker and i've always kind of thought like why have you done that who are you mixing this for because are you mixing it for that one person who's in the sweet spot or are you mixing it for the other 79,999 people who are in the arena and can't hear it properly so yeah i think that's a little bit of a bugbear but that's yeah to me that makes perfect sense mix everything in mono because otherwise who are you mixing it for oh it makes total sense when you mention it like that you know it, it's definitely a very important thing to think about when we are doing our mix. So that's great. And can you tell me a bit more, Sam, about your YouTube channel and what do you do through that? So, uh, well, I do lots of mixing. I do lots of a bit of everything, really. I started it. Well, the reason I started it was because during COVID, someone had sent me a load of tracks and they wanted me to turn it into, or they wanted me to take it from like this MIDI stuff and turn it into a full track. And I thought, well, I can do this. I'm quite good at this. So why don't I advertise that I can do this? So I started making some videos and I called them Demo to Master. Um, there may be some still hanging around my channel now. I should have taken them off really because they're awful. But I've started doing this and um, pumping them out to local bands and local people and stuff and showing what I could do. And then I was like, okay, I quite like doing this video stuff. So it's all kind of progressed from there really. And I'm two, however many years down the line now. I do mainly mixing tutorials, gear reviews, you know, the kind of stuff. And it's great. It's nice to 
have a community there. It's nice to talk to people. And I have lots of people that contact me who are like, well, I've got this track, you know, I need to take it up to the next level. Can you help me? And it will be the case that I get a lot of mixing work that way as well. But I think that's because I've kind of got them so far through the tutorials and then they're like, right, I just need that extra 10%. So they've actually saved money really because they've done 90% of it for free by watching my videos and then I get them the next 10%. So it works in both camps really. But yeah, YouTube was something I'd always kind of seen and always valued and I like it as a platform. I like it more than kind of the short form content because I think YouTube is something that you watch for the sake of watching something if you're scrolling and reels and tiktok and stuff you're just watching it through boredom really aren't you you know you're not watching it because you actually want to digest some information so yeah i enjoy it and um it's a nice platform to kind of promote yourself as well as a mixer as a musician i have various stuff so i have some drum sample packs that i sell on there and i like to do just general tips and tricks and here's how you do this and is anyone struggling with anything let me know and i'll do a video and hopefully show you how to do it but from there i then got to start to work with i don't know loads of companies really i do mainly stuff with isotope and native instruments and i've also done stuff with slate digital in the past lander distro kid loads of people yeah which is fun i enjoy it oh lovely i love that and it's great how it's just come about sort of organically of yeah. uh, you know you just started it not for the reason of being a youtuber and then it's kind of turned into something that you really enjoy yeah i never really started it with the intent to become a yeah like you say become a youtuber i started it with the intent of kind of advertising a little bit of what i do but then it it stopped being an advert and it started being an entity in itself. And it's, yes, I enjoy doing it. So it's something that I'll carry on doing, I suppose. So now we are at our speed quiz, Sam. Are <laughs> you ready? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> All right. So it's five quick fire this or that question. So just the first one that comes to your mind. So number one. Uh, would you rather never be able to go out during the day or never be able to go out during the night? Day. Day, definitely. Would you rather spend a week in the forest or a night in a real haunted house? Oh, haunted house, definitely. That'd be awesome. Oh, my goodness. What? <laughs> well, my wife always keeps going about ghosts. I say they're not real. They're not real. That's never going to happen. And I don't know, haunted house is kind of fun. I like the okay. the ornateness to the fireplaces and things, so... Have fun. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Would you rather produce a song with terrible vocals but brilliant lyrics or a song with amazing vocals but horrible lyrics? Amazing vocals, horrible lyrics, definitely. Yeah, fair enough. Would you rather never listen to music again or give up the internet for a year? I'll give the internet, definitely. Okay. Good. And would you rather have the best studio in a bad location or the worst studio in a good location? Oh, uh, best studio in a bad location, I think, because I'd just stay in the studio. It'd be fine. <laughs> that would be my best location. It wouldn't matter where it was. Oh, I'd, I'd be inside oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, that was that was pretty speedy, Sam. Good <laughs> job. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> so coming to our top tips, can you tell me what is your one top career tip? Try everything. Just don't say no to anything. If someone asks you, can you do this certain thing, of course you can. You're going to work out how to do it along the way and you're going to 
it's going to make you so much better when you do it. When I started doing video stuff for companies, I didn't have a clue, didn't know how to do it. Like I'd literally not even got a piece of screen capture software. So I bought it and started doing it and it's been the best decision ever. So just try everything. Do absolutely anything anyone asks of you, unless it sounds like it's, you know, unless you're going shave a monkey or something. But as long as it's like in the realm of things you want to do, just try it all. It'll all help you in the long run, 100%. Mm, awesome. Very good one there. And what is your one top self-care tip? It's something that is terribly hypocritical because I'm absolutely terrible at this. It's separating your work life from your home life. It's the best way of keeping your mind in check, keeping your body in check. And I'm the worst person in the world at this. Just ask my wife. Because I don't... Music has ruined music for me. Because I do music all day, like my brother's the same. We both work in music all day. We never listen to music. Never ever, like, if we're in a car, we're in silence. We just... There's nothing I want to do less after a day of working with music than listen to music. So I think if you're working in music, it's very difficult to choose it in your downtime. So having that separation between your work life and your home life where work doesn't matter at home, nobody cares what you do. Like, do you think, I don't know, think Taylor Swift, do you think her kids are going to care that she's Taylor Swift? Do you know what I mean? It it doesn't matter that she's mum. You know, it doesn't matter who you are outside. When you get home, you've got to be the home person. You've got to be dad. You've got to be the husband. And I'm terrible at that. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Hmm. No, that's a good point there. And actually, you make me feel so much better about my drives in silence as well, because <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And and you just end up overanalyzing everything. And yeah, um, <laughs> so it's not just me. Good I think that, that's it. Like, because the entire family, we're all musical or musicians, we sit there and we'll listen to something. And I'll be thinking about the I don't know, EQ settings on the vocal or something, my brother will be like, mm, they should have used the suspended second chord over that or something. And, and mum's just like, oh, I don't like the string arrangement there. I think the, the piano should, you know, we're terrible. We're awful, really. But it's what you're into, isn't it? You're speaking the language of music, really. So yeah, so true. music ruined music for me. Put on a t-shirt. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> and what is your one top general life tip? Be nice to everyone. Just be a nice person. I think it's true to say that if you are eight out of 10 at your job, then, but you're a nice person and you're easy to get on with, you will get the job every time over someone who is 10 out of 10 at their job, but doesn't reply to emails, is horrible to get on with, just not a nice person. You know, you're playing the person game, you know, you're working with people. And I think that's so much more important than people really make out, you know, that people share so many tips and tricks and does this plugin work over this one? Does this microphone work over this one? Well, that's kind of a bit further down the line. Just be a nice person to start off with. And that's not just in music, is it? You know, that's to everyone. Be as nice. I used to uh, know a guy who actually taught taught my brother and at university. And he, the thing that my brother always said about him was that he was as nice to everyone in the university. He spoke exactly the same way to the person who was the cleaner, who worked in the canteen, to the principal, to the assistant principal, to his colleagues, to his students. You speak exactly the same to absolutely everyone. And just be nice to absolutely everyone. And I think that's a good thing to take with you in life. Oh, such a good tip there. Love that. And yeah, so true about being nice. But also you mentioned there just being organized as well, because that makes such a difference. 
It does, yeah. And I think I think I'm pretty organized. I think sometimes things do slip through the net. But also, because you are being such a nice person, if something does slip through the net, don't give someone a hard time because they're human. It happens, you know. A, a friendly, gentle poke through an email is much nicer than just like, why haven't you done this thing? You know, it just rubs people up the wrong way if you're horrible to people. And I think sure. there's always a reason why someone has done something or hasn't done something. And yeah, you're best off finding out the reason before you you go crazy on it. Mm. Oh, for sure, for sure. No, there's actually a saying up in my room that says, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you can't, agree. you don't live their life, they don't live your life, you don't know what it's like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. So that's a lovely note to end on there as well, Sam. So thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely chatting to you and hearing more about what you do as well. Thank you for having me. All right, have a good day. You too, take care now. Thanks. My biggest three takeaways from Sam's episode was firstly the importance of having reference tracks. This will ensure that your mix generally sounds good, which will also translate on different streaming platforms. My second biggest takeaway was the tool called Streamliner. This allows you to see what your song will sound like across different streaming platforms before you release your track. My last takeaway was the importance of ensuring that your mix sounds good in mono. This will not only help it translate to streaming platforms, but also make sure that it sounds good in other live settings like in clubs and also festivals. That's it from us this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to seeing you in two weeks.